0: You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington, DC, and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Church. Uh, We're excited to have you here as we continue our series in the book of Ephesians. As we are thinking about this book, it really is a book about the church, for the church, and we've been asking the question as we study through Ephesians, who is the church? And as we ponder about who is the church, that should help us think about how then should we live as the people of God. Now before I get started, I I don't normally do this, but I want to give a quick shout out to my mom. I know she'll, uh, I know, right? That's, uh, maybe I'll get back in her good graces after this, um, but uh, I know she watches from time to time. Uh, my mom today is being honored at our home church for 25 years of ministry, uh, that she has served faithfully the women and children of that church, and so just want to say thank you, mom. I know you'll probably watch this later, but uh, you modeled so well for us uh, as your children, what it looks like to love the church, and so just want to give that shout out. Now, other hand, my dad, um, uh, that was a segue there. My dad is quite a character, and earlier this year, my dad called me, and he thought that he struck rich on the stock market. I mean, I'm talking about he was so excited. <laughs> and my dad doesn't, doesn't really play the stock market often. He doesn't really talk about his investments often with us, but he got really excited about this particular uh, conversation. He called me and my brother, and he told us about some stocks that he would purchased years ago from Office Depot. Now, most of you probably are probably like, who the heck is Office Depot? You probably don't know who Office Depot is, but in the world my dad operates in and his job, Office Depot is one of his uh, greatest uh, supply companies for office supplies. So think of like Dunder Mifflin, except more than just printer paper. Okay, it's like desk and all kinds of office supplies that they offer. And So, so he, he has value in their stock. And and he explained that he had bought a ton of stock for me and my brother years ago and that the market was just doing so well that these stocks have increased tenfold. And we know Home, De- our Office Depot stock enough to know that it's never going to get this good ever again. Okay. So like, we we're like, all right, we have to sell dad. Like, this is great. Where are you dreaming about what we're going to do with this? Like we get to do a really good family vacation. This is going to be really good. I mean, th- this is going to help in a lot of ways. It's a lot of money. Uh, and then he called us later that day with the sad reality that he misinterpreted what he was looking at. <laughs> And if you know some things about the stock exchange, sometimes uh, uh, shareholders, or, or like Office Depot did here, they can do what's called a reverse split. And if you're not familiar with a reverse split, uh, that basically means is what they do is they jack up the price of every share, but they reduce the amount of shares you actually own. So my dad thought he owned 100 shares. He actually owned less than that because for every 10 shares he had, he now only owned one share. The price was higher, but it wasn't the same amount of shares. And so he miscalculated, thinking that he had this abundance of wealth, when in actuality, when we looked at the numbers, it wasn't even enough to get us home for Christmas with gas money. Like, it just it didn't, it didn't land. Well, he left pretty disappointed that day. Now, maybe you heard the story of this, uh, of Thelma Howard. Thelma Howard was the humble housekeeper of Walt Disney. Uh, she served Walt Disney and his family for 30 years. Uh, just, just doing her job, uh, not really having much of anything, And she was so faithful in her her work that every year for Christmas, Walt Disney would give her a bonus. And instead of giving her just a hundred extra dollars or something like that as a bonus, he would give her a sheet of paper. And these sheets of paper were stocks in Disney. And over the years, she continued to accumulate these. And one day, as she passed away in 1994, never acting upon any of this, her family discovered that she had over $9.5 million worth of investment in Disney. Now, the reason I share these two particular realities, these particular stories, is because they represent for our spiritual lives, oftentimes, two realities that we fluctuate between. In one sense, we're like my dad and I. We get so happy and so caught up in putting stock in the things of this world that that we think they're going to land, but they never satisfy the hype that they give us. They never quite get to that number that we think they're going to get to. They, They never quite give us the happiness, the joy, the satisfaction that we so crave in them. But oftentimes we live our lives like Miss Dear Thelma Howard. And we sit on a fortune of spiritual blessings and act like we have nothing. We're like spiritual millionaires sitting on the fortune of all the blessings that we have in Christ and we act as if we're empty. We act as if there's nothing there for us. We act as if we're unaware of truly what we possess. What Paul prays for the church here is to help us unlock the key to these two spiritual realities today. To help us unlock the fact that we already have possessions in Christ, blessings in Christ as we saw last week. And through knowing Christ more, we can unlock and unleash what Christ has already given us. And so our main idea today is simply this. Pursue the blessing of knowing Christ. Pursue the blessing of knowing Christ. The Apostle Paul wants us to become acutely aware of the blessings that we already have. As we saw last week and has been spoke about, God has blessed the church with every spiritual blessing. And he has united his people, the church, to his son Jesus, which means this glorious truth that everything that is Christ is ours. What Jesus possessed, now the church, we possess those spiritual blessings. And what Paul is wanting for us today as he prays this prayer for the church is to give us the, the key to unlocking those spiritual blessings, to unleashing what is already ours in Christ, to keep us from trying to chase after things that will never satisfy us and also recognize that we don't have to sit as if we're empty on the wealth that we already have in Christ. And so in this prayer today, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the purpose of his prayer first. What is Paul praying for the church? What is he praying for us today, really? And then we're going to see the petition of his prayer. What are the pleas? What are the the requests that Paul is making on behalf of that purpose for the church? We're going to see three particular ones that are going to help us as we think about pursuing knowing Christ today. And that is to see the future as God sees it, to see ourselves as God sees us, and to see power as God sees it. So we're going to look at those things as we walk through this text this morning. So let's begin with the purpose of prayer. Verse 15. For this reason because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. You know, in the age of individualism, which is what we live in, we are taught that the key to unlocking what is real and authentic is to look deep inside ourselves. To look inside ourselves and to know ourselves as we know who we are in ourselves, then that is how we can be most authentic. That is the place where we should start. But Paul says something different here. It is important for us to know ourselves, but Paul says the priority, the purpose is actually not knowing ourselves, it is knowing God. And when we know more of God, it actually helps us understand who we are. And so he says his prayer, the purpose of his prayer for these people is that they would come to this knowledge of him, that they would know who God is. He's not talking about just an information about God. He's talking about truly knowing him. Now he's writing to people who already have a faith relationship with Jesus. He's telling them that they are actually doing a good job in the progress of their faith. He's encouraged by where they are he is telling them that they were actually showing and modeling what practical real Christianity looks like by the way in which they love one another. He's encouraged by this. And you should think, well, Paul, why aren't you satisfied with this? Why why is this not enough? And it actually is, in fact, the the reason why is because his thankfulness is overflowing that is spurring him on to say, I want you to know Jesus more. Because of the way you're living, I want you to know him more. I want you to continue to know him more. You see, if you were to possess all the gold gold in the world, could you have any more of it? No, right? If you possessed all of it, could you gain any more of it? No. But if you were to know someone, can you know them more? Yes, right? Of course we can. And that is precisely what Paul is showing us here, that God's blessings are not quantifiable. They're not finite. We can't measure it because it's relational, So really what Paul's getting at here in the opening of this prayer is he's really begging the question for us to ask, are we satisfied in knowing God? Are we satisfied in the knowledge that we have of him? He's encouraging this church to have this knowledge of him, to pursue that their eyes of the hearts of these people would be enlightened. He's calling them to reflect back on what he has already taught them in the first 14 verses. It's now to ask the question of how do we then live? What, what then we, do we do with all these rich spiritual blessings that we have in Christ? And what Paul encourages us here is that we would know him. Now the word here in verse 17 that says the knowledge of him, or even the, the word verse 18 that says that, that we would know the hope that we have, that word knowledge or know is intimate, It's the same word we use for knowing one another in marital relationships in the Bible. So when you go back to the very beginning in the garden with Adam and Eve, it says that Adam knew his wife Eve, meaning that in the context of the marriage bed, there is intimacy there. They knew one another. What Paul is showing us is there's something much greater than just having knowledge about God here. The knowledge that he is talking about is something intimate, it's something deep, it's relational. In essence, what he's calling us to is that to pursue knowing the blessings of God is to pursue having a relationship with God. Is being in relationship with the king over everything. There's a false assumption sometimes that we live with that the pursuit of the study of God and the enjoyment of God are mutually exclusive. And that's not true. And Paul, the purpose of his prayer here is to show us that we can't truly enjoy God without studying him. We can't truly love God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, without also loving God with all of our minds. Knowing more of Christ leads us to more enjoyment of Him. And the way Paul is going to encourage us here in verse 17 is by meditating. It's by marinating on the truth of His Word, which is why he says that God would grant us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. That the spirit would light a fire in us as our ongoing teacher to instruct us, to give us wisdom and revelation. These things, wisdom and revelation, they go hand in hand in the Bible. When you look at the Old Testament, we're taught in the Old Testament that the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord. In other words, to have true understanding in life is to look at the world from God's perspective. And the spirit does this work for us. When we meditate on scriptures, when we marinate over the scriptures, what the spirit work what he does in the life of the believer is he reveals that wisdom comes from God. It comes from his revelation, his word. It's so the question we have to ask ourselves, are we satisfied today with how well we know God? How would we describe our relationship to his word. Without being too overly simplistic, anything worthwhile in life, any endeavor that we have in life, uh, to really receive the full enjoyment is to have full investment, right? Any really worthwhile endeavor in life, if we want to have full enjoyment in that endeavor, it requires that we have full investment, and so Paul's not talking about here the, 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 the reason why we have faith in Christ. He already says, you guys have faith in Christ, church. You're secure in Christ. No one can snatch you out of his hand. You are secure in what Christ has done for you. What he's talking about here is, what does it look like to enjoy that union we have with Christ? What is it like to actually enjoy that? How do we have this full investment to understand the blessings of knowing Christ? And he says it's through this relationship with him. And we know this is true in, in human relationships, right? if we want to have an enjoyable relationship, there's got to be communication. If I don't communicate with my wife for months, we're not going to have a very enjoyable marriage, right? It's not going to go well. We have to communicate. We have to be in relationship. And that is precisely what Paul is talking about here. And the purpose of his prayer for the church is that they would know Jesus intimately, that there would be relationship, that they would enjoy the benefits of being in relationship, which means that you get to know someone, you get to know their hopes in their dreams. You get to know what makes them angry, what makes them happy. You get to know what makes them light up in this world, makes them enjoyable in this world, right? You get to know all those things. And through the scriptures, God says that we can have that type of access to him and that he can have that type of access to us. The point here is that we can have relationship with him and the reason why this is the purpose of his prayer is because oftentimes we can walk into a room just like this in a church setting and we can feel very disconnected. We can have good community around us. But we can go through the rituals, but we can still feel disconnected. And Paul says the purpose of his prayer is that you would know that God desires relationship with you and that you can pursue a deeper relationship with him through the knowledge of him, through pursuing knowing all the blessings that are in Christ. And to the degree that we pursue this purpose, this priority of his prayer, is to the degree we can look at the things of this world and we can realize that those things, just like that stock, right? It's never going to give us the full satisfaction and comfort and joy that I, I want it to give me. And I can look at those things and I can see that I have immeasurably more in Christ I can see the beauty of what it means to have relationship with him that nothing else can give us. This is what drives Paul to his knees. This is the purpose of his prayer that their the hearts, their eyes of of their hearts would be enlightened, would be open to this reality that God desires relationship with his people. Now, what is the petition that he follows? And if that's the purpose, let's look at then really the meat of this. What are the petitions that he then is offering up to God? As he thinks about their purpose is to, to know God, to, to have knowledge of him, if they're to unleash these spiritual blessings within them. The things that we talked about last week, that they're loved, that they're, they're called, that they're adopted. That they have this inheritance because they've been sealed with the Spirit. How, how do we unleash those things? How do we understand those things? Well, he gives us three petitions here. First, in verse 18, he says this. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know... What is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? What is the hope? What is the richness of his inheritance? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Those are his petitions. The first one, hope it is to see the future as God sees it. If we want to know God, we need to begin to see the future as he sees it. So when we think of hope oftentimes, especially our modern day of hope, it's more of a, more of a wishful thinking. We say things like, I hope I get that job. I hope that I'm married one day. I hope that the housing market actually becomes somewhat affordable so I can get out of my studio closet. Right? I hope I get that promotion. We put these hopes out there and we pursue these things, but the reality is that there are external factors that can prevent those things from happening. But when the Bible talks about hope, it's a different kind of hope. It's a settled joy that we can have in a settled future. It's a settled joy in a settled future. See, the reality is if you're in this room today, whether you have faith in Christ or you are religious or you have any spiritual background at all, the reality is that we are all hope-based creatures. Every single human is a hope-based creature, meaning that we have all set our hopes on something in the future that we're looking forward to. And because we have put our hope on something in the future, regardless of what that is, it is affecting the way we live in the present. It drives our present reality. Let me give you an example of this. Mondays, uh, Mondays are my day off, okay? And Monday mornings, my daughters want to go to breakfast with me. And so what we do every single Monday morning is we get together and I ask them, what do you want to do for breakfast? And what do two young girls want to do for breakfast? They want to go get chocolate donuts. Because what else does a little child want than chocolate donuts? And so we go to the donut shop, we go to district donuts, and, and we get our chocolate donuts. But before they can eat the donuts, they have to eat something substantial right? They have to eat something that is actually of value. They can't just have just chocolate donuts and hyped up on sugar all day. So so we first have something of of substance. And so Ellie that morning had yogurt and a banana that she had to eat in order to get her donut. Now to get that donut, she had to consume these things. And so we get to the donut shop and I tell Ellie, hey, you have to eat your yogurt and you have to have your banana before you get that donut. And something absolutely amazing happened. I didn't have to threaten to take any of her stuffed animals away for her to, to eat that yogurt and banana. I didn't have to manipulate her to eat that yogurt and banana. She sat there and scarfed that thing down while her eyes focused the entire time on the chocolate donut with sprinkles. She, her eyes never lost sight of that donut the entire time she ate her yogurt and banana, right? It's amazing. It, it, and, and here's the reality. If I would have put a chia seed, organic muffin, I don't know, something in front of her, she would never have eaten her yogurt for that. She would never have labored through that Greek yogurt for that muffin. But because of the chocolate, she was pleased to do it. Now, here's the reality. That's a silly example. But that chocolate changed her present reality. Because that chocolate was the hope of her future. And because she had that hope of her future... She would endure anything in the moment to feast on that. And the reality is, that is a simple illustration that describes exactly who we are. In a place like DC, we live oftentimes for things like our career, for our jobs in the present. Everybody asks us, What is your five year plan? We all have a vision for where we want to go in our future, and that shapes our present reality. It shapes the way in which we view the hours that we log at our current jobs. What happens when something goes wrong? What happens when the job doesn't quite land? What happens when the relationship that we invest in doesn't quite get there? Jesus tells us in his gospels, he warns us, he tells us to not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy but instead to store up treasures in heaven. And the reason why Jesus gives that warning to us and that encouragement is because everything that we can put our hope into in this world is an unstable compound. Every single thing that we put our hope in in this world is an unstable compound, meaning that our jobs can change in a moment, meaning that our careers can be derailed in ways that we cannot see, meaning that relationship statuses can change in an instant. The things that we put our hopes in, in this world can disappoint, cannot live up to the hype that we desire. And Jesus is telling us here through this prayer that Paul is giving to put our hope into something that is very certain, to see the future as God sees it, to put our hope in Jesus, the one who will never fail, who will never leave us. You see, to see the future as God sees the future is to see that Jesus is the same today as he was yesterday and forever will be. To see the future as God sees the future actually brings greater fulfillment and contentment in the things that we pursue in this world. It actually allows us to be a better co-worker. It allows us to be a better spouse. It allows us to be a better friend. It allows us to see that we can be those things because being a great coworker or having the career that we so desire or having a certain relationship status is not going to dictate the joy that we're seeking because our hope is in something greater in the future. And the reason why this is so important for us is that when we see the hope that we've been called to, it means that your life is not an accident. It means that there is nothing in your life that is random. That everything that God has placed in your life, he is working together for your good and for his glory. That even in the most difficult times, he is working those things for his loving plan. From Paul's perspective, when we think of this prayer to see the future as God sees, it means that whether we go through the peaks of life or we feel like we're in the pit of life right now, the best is yet to come. That we have a settled hope on a settled future. It is not vague optimism. It is certain. It is guaranteed, as we saw last week, because of the inheritance we have, the deposit that we have through the power of the Holy Spirit, that one day God will return and that he will receive his people fully. So we have this settled hope when we see the future as God sees the future. But secondly, we see that we should also see ourselves as God sees us. He says that he prays that their eyes of their hearts would be enlightened so that not only would they know the hope To which he has called them, but also what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Oh man, this is why hope is so great for us. This is why access to God is so wonderful. Because the more we learn about God, the more we see that we're not just meant to make much of him, but that he also makes much of us. That is not an exaggeration. That is not a hyperbole this morning. That is not out of bounds to say. Because the text here doesn't say that we would know the riches of our inheritance. It says his glorious inheritance in the saints. Meaning this, church, you are his inheritance. I'll let that sink in for a moment. His wealth is bound up in you who are in Christ this morning. You are worth a lot to the Maker of heaven and earth. You know, if there were the tragic event that happened in my apartment and uh, a fire ha- broke out in my apartment, there would be three things that I would immediately take out of my apartment: Abby, Ellie, and Harper. Right, my wife, my two daughters. I, yeah, I, I could leave the, the the money that I left behind is okay the artwork that I left behind is okay. That that special bottle of wine that we're going to break out one day, it's okay, right? Those things can be replaced. But my wealth is bound up in my wife and my two children. Those things are not replaceable. If I were to lose them, it would be a hole in my heart that could not be replaced by another finite being, because my wealth is bound up in them. So think about this for a moment. God, who is the maker and creator of the entire universe, everything he has made. Everything is his. And Paul says here that you, church, are of greater value than all the galaxies in the universe. That his wealth is bound up in you. That when he looks at his church, he sees his church as holy and blameless that today you are loved by God the same way you will be loved a thousand years from now. The maker and owner of all the universe has a special treasure, an inheritance in the saints. Now, why is this important for us to understand as we think about the blessing of knowing Christ? Well, when we see ourselves as God sees us as his church, when that gets deep within us, then we can see that the affirmations of this world, we can take it and leave it, right? Right? When we understand this, we can see that the things that we get in this world, the affirmations that we get in this world, they're just like icing on a cake. They're nice, but they're just shadows pointing to the real thing, which is what God thinks of us in Christ. And when we see ourselves as God sees us, then we no longer have to live moment by moment for the applause of someone else. We no longer have to live moment by moment for the approval of what we can produce for someone else. When we see ourselves as God sees us, we no longer have to have someone constantly in our corner saying, you got this, I love you, you're smart, you're creative, you're beautiful. When we see ourselves as God sees us, then we can see that those things are nice, but they're not necessary for our identity. Because when we see ourselves as God views us, we're able to see that even the greatest ambitions that we can strive for in this life are nothing, they're minuscule compared to what we already possess in Christ and what he thinks of us which means we don't have to walk through life worrying about what other people are going to think. As one pastor puts it, why would we care about the opinions of serfs when we have the honor of the king? We are his glorious inheritance. And when we begin to see ourselves as Christ, God sees us, then it transforms the way we know him. And then we see power in this text. See power as God sees it. Look at verse 19. And he says, What is the measurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, and not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, the Greek language is kind of tricky here when it says the immeasurable greatness of his power. It's really hard to get a, a, a good definition of what Paul's trying to accomplish here because of the compound words he puts together here. The literal translation would be megadynamite, right? Which is, would be a weird translation to read, right? <laughs> what is the megadynamite towards those who believe, right? but that's what he's he's communicating here, something extravagant, something just so incredibly powerful. He says what he has placed in the hearts of believers is mega dynamite. When you are united with Christ, you have a power in you that is so great that it's hard for the English language to fully comprehend. Meaning that the Christian life is not one where we say, let's stir up our willpower to make some cosmetic changes to do better in life. The Christian life is a reminder that there is a mega dynamite power that is from outside of us that comes within us that creates something new in us. That is what he's describing here. That we have access to a resource that can produce something brand new in you. Something that you yourself can never produce. So that's far beyond our human capacity to produce. But the reality is all of us, again, whether whether we have faith in here or not, whether we believe in Jesus or not, deep down inside we all know that we are not truly the person that we're meant to be. That's why we have New Year's resolutions. That's why we have self-help plans. That's why we go on a thousand different workout plans or we have career coaches and life coaches because we know deep down inside that there's something in us that has not been unlocked, that we're not quite the person we're meant to be. And we can strive and strive with all the willpower in the world, but that is nothing compared to what God in Christ does in our lives. And what Paul is saying is, Christian, when you know Jesus, when you pursue a knowledge of him, there is a power within you to change and produce something beautiful in you. Which is why when the Bible talks about our growth in the New Testament, it uses uses language of fruit, right? Of growth like a fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And we know sometimes when you try to grow a plant, if you have a green thumb or not, which I do not, um, it is kind of hard to grow plants. Sometimes it takes seasons for things to grow. Sometimes there are seasons when things are more dormant. There are seasons of winter. There are seasons of spring where growth happens fast and where growth happens slow. But nevertheless, God is telling us that in Christ we have a power, a great power within us that can create change, that can grant us new life in him, that can make us someone that we on our own could never be. And it is our available resource to us. But there's another way in which God's enormous and incomparable power is for us present in this age, present right now for us. And we see power as God sees it. We see that he is the one guiding history. Notice in this climactic moment of this last petition, he says that as Jesus was raised from the dead, the same power that lives in us is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. He says that power that raised Jesus from the dead and seats him at the throne He says, he seats him at the throne far above all what rulers, authority, power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Today, whether we acknowledge it or not, Christ is the one reigning over history. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, Christ is the one who dominates over the universe. Whether we see it or not, he is the one who has been raised from the dead and he is seated at God's right hand. And God says that everything else, everything else is put under him. And he feels everything in every way. So you, you get discouraged sometimes when you watch the news, when you scroll through Twitter. <laughs> it's a bad habit, right? You get deep into Twitter's first. It's, it's bad. Do you ever get discouraged when you see things that are happening in our world? You see Paul is recalling to our minds today that we have to settle our hearts on the power that is his. That today, no matter the circumstances of the world around us today, no matter what we read in the news, we have to see those things through the lens of this verse 22. That Christ is the one who rules over it all. That today that no matter is what what is happening today, that God has appointed everything under his feet, that he is over everything for the sake of who? His church, who is his body. Meaning that today, church, no matter the challenges that we face, we can take comfort in knowing that God's power is put on display, that Jesus Christ is ruling today over everything for the sake of his church, that he has put everything under his control in order to complete his plan of redemption. His plan of addition for you and his plan of redemption for the world. He will see it to its end. But it's not just that there's a power so great working in us to change us, and a power so great that He is literally controlling history and, and where history is moving, but there's also a power that is so great that we don't have to fear death. He said this power is put on display through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In the end, we can be fully redeemed. And when we are, we can see God's power as he sees power. Power not just to change us, but power that can overcome fear of death. Because even the greatest darknesses of this world, the sufferings that we face, the death that is inevitable in our future, they are small things compared to the vast immeasurable power of God. They are passing things to the eternal, infinite, greater, higher power displayed in Christ. So as we come to the Lord's Supper, how do, we, how do we enjoy and pursue this blessing of knowing Jesus, having this intimacy with Him, of seeing the, the future as God sees it, of seeing ourselves as God sees us, of seeing power as God sees it? How do we understand the, the blessings of knowing Jesus? I want to give you four practical things as we come to our time of the Lord's Supper. Number one, Meditate on the scriptures. So it's going to be really practical. Meditate on the scriptures. God has given us His word. They're there for us. It is our time to sit across from the table and enjoy communion with God. Meditate on the scriptures because it's our opportunity to experience the closeness that we already possess in Christ. They're there for you. Number two, pray until these blessings seep into your heart. As Paul says here, pray that our our hearts, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. Pray that these truths would seep into your hearts, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to the hope that you have in Christ this morning, to the worth you have in Christ this morning, to the power that you have access to through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life this morning. Prayer is given to us largely for our benefit, right? Prayer is not to change God, it is to change us, to help us see our need for him. Number three, do it in community. Notice in this text, as we'll continue to see in the book of Ephesians, that when he says you, he is referring to, as we say in the South, y'all, okay? He is referring to community, to the church. That The blessings of knowing Christ and pursuing him is to be done with one another, not isolated from one another. So pursue these things. Pursue the blessing of knowing Christ with one another. And lastly, none of this will work unless we rest in what Christ has already done for us. None of this will work unless we rest in what Christ has already done for us. And how do we know that God's power is working in our lives this morning? How do we know that we can have this intimate access of knowing him and growing in that this morning? How do we know that that we are loved and that we are worthy this morning? It is because of the love of Christ displayed on the cross. When we look at his love, and we understand and behold his love, then we can pursue him more. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says that the message of the cross is the ultimate display of God's love, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You want to know his power in your life this morning? Look to the cross. In the cross, we see a picture of helplessness What is more helpless than a man nailed to a cross? What is more powerless than a man nailed to a cross? What seems more hopeless than someone nailed to a cross? And yet for Jesus, it was ultimately voluntary. Meaning that when Jesus went to the cross, he voluntarily went there for us. Meaning that when he went to the cross, he voluntarily lost everything access to the Father, forsaken, so that we could have intimacy with him. When he went to the cross, he voluntarily gave up his beauty. He was not esteemed on the cross so that we could be his inglorious inheritance today. It was voluntarily that he went to the cross and voluntarily lost power and stayed powerless on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins, the debt that we so deserved. And it was actually through that act of of his loss of power on the cross that led to his conquering of our ultimate enemy in death. Jesus Christ has displayed his love for us this morning. Let's rest in that and in resting in what we already have in Christ, let's pursue to know him more and more and more and unlock the wealth that we get to sit on today, the firm foundation that is our faith in Christ, the abundance of blessings that we have in him. Let's pray this prayer time and time again. That we would know the hope that we've been called to. That we would know this glorious inheritance, the way he looks at us. And that we would know the power, the immeasurable, the great power that he is working in us.